can't. Are they okay? Clean. Wait a minute. No, the battery's green. I was going to say I've been known to put batteries in wrong. Can you hear me? Oh, hey, it was your end. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, man. It was who? The devil. Yeah. I'll never say you're the devil again because you're bigger, you're stronger, you're faster, and you're uglier than me, man. So I'll never accuse you of being the devil again. Hey, gang, I, I'm glad you're here. Let's, a uh, good crowd this morning, let's take our Bible, okay? And let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. I, I, I tell you, we, uh, we have an incredible, wonderful uh, passage of Scripture before us in our study of Hebrews chapter 11. I hope you brought your Bible or your iPad or your smartphone, whatever it is. This week, let me tell you what we're going to do. This week and uh, next week, we're going to look in the life of Moses, when I uh, began preparing for this study in Hebrews 11, my, my thought was that we would take one character a week and uh, then we would just kind of talk a little bit and teach some lessons about the characters. As I began to dig, gang, I want to tell you, don't know that I've ever seen a, a chapter in Scripture so full as Hebrews 11 in giving out or explaining to us the different lives of Bible characters. As a result, we had to take two weeks with our study of Noah. We took two weeks in our study of Abraham. And I tried my best to spend one week on Moses. But I got to tell you, uh, I, there's just so much here that we're going to take two weeks on Moses as well. Now, what that means is you got to come back next week, okay? You can't go on vacation until after that. Uh, but I, I really, really want you to be here. I, you, you know most of the stuff I'm going to tell you that you already know. You know that Moses was considered the greatest leader in the nation of Israel. Uh, he's uh, got it's just a great description of what real faith is, faith in action. The Bible tells us that the Lord knew him face to face. That's amazing to me. The Bible tells us that God spoke to him face to face. That is intimidating to me. He was a prophet. He was a lawgiver. He was a deliverer. He wrote Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy. And one of the lessons that we learn from the life of Moses, in fact, one of the, the goals that, that I have this week and next week, is that when we look at his life, we realize there are times in our lives that we have to take a stand. There are times in our lives, especially in this culture, that being a faith follower, a believer in Jesus Christ, requires us to say no. Now, there are times, obviously, that we must say yes to God. But what I, one of the things I've learned is that when I say yes to God, almost in the very same breath, I have to say no to the world. Faith 
always requires a stand. I don't care if you're in school. I don't care whether you're at the job. I don't care whether you're at home. I don't care wherever you are. Whatever you do, faith always says yes to God. But faith always says no to the world. Now, let me remind you of what our study's about. When we began, I said to you that the writer of Hebrews was writing, uh, some call it a sermon, preaching a sermon, writing a sermon, whatever it may be, to a bunch of very discouraged and disillusioned followers of Christ. They were in a situation where they were wondering, I don't really know if this is really worth it. I'm thinking about going back to what I was. And so the writer says, no, you can't. You mustn't. Because Christ is superior. And he wants them to know you couldn't go back anyway because it wasn't all that good. Now, beloved, with Moses, if anybody could go back and be good, at least from the world's perspective, Moses could. Most of us know his story. When all the Hebrew babies were being killed, Moses was spared. He was raised as Pharaoh's grandson. All of Egypt was his for the taking. Some say that he was probably heir to the throne, and so he probably could have been Pharaoh himself one day. Back in that culture, Pharaohs were given a divine status, so in all probability, he could have been considered a god one day. He was raised with a silver spoon in his mouth, had the very best schooling. Hey, he might have had a pyramid, huh? I mean, think about it. Go to Egypt, and well, looky there, there's Moses' pyramid. And yet there came a crossroads in his life. There came a time when a crisis came that he had to make a decision. And the decision he made was going to stay with him all the rest of his life, and he chose God. And gang, one, uh, another lesson we get from Moses is we're all faced with challenges. And we all have to make decisions. Maybe this morning your life is spiraling. Maybe this morning you're trying to come to terms with life. It doesn't seem to be working all that great, and you're not sure what to do. Maybe you're like Moses. You're faced with a crisis. You're at a crossroads. You're at a decision point in your life, and you've got to decide who you're going to follow, what you're going to do. Moses chose God. Because he believed God was better. And I want you dear people to know that God is better. And the challenge that's always faced us as, as believers is, do we choose the world or do we choose God? I want to encourage you. My challenge to you, my hope to you today is to choose God. Because God is better and the world will always destroy you.
What does the Bible say? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We have a choice. It's God or the world. In Scripture, Egypt is a form, a picture of the world. So what we have today is a choice between God and Egypt. Moses, who could have had it all, all the riches, he had all the training, he had all the schooling, everything before him was his. And yet he turned away from it and he chose God. He chose well. Gang, I hope today that you choose well also. Let's take our Bible and stand in honor of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 23 through 27. The Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Why don't we pray together? Pray for me as I share my lesson. But I want to ask for you to take a moment and be a little selfish and pray for yourself. In other words, pray something like, God, I'm not even sure why I'm here, but I am here. And you knew I was going to be here. And you knew Tom was going to preach this message. He needs help. That'd be a good prayer, folks. But I need help, too. Because I need to figure out some things in my life. I need to make some decisions. And so, God, show me from Scripture what that is what I should choose. Father, I love you. God, I know that on any Sunday, if your Holy Spirit doesn't show up, makes no difference who the preacher is, makes no difference what is preached. I'm well aware of that. Father, I'm aware that if you don't anoint this, if you don't get in this, then I'm going to waste 30 to 40 minutes of some people's lives. And I don't want to do that. I've worked too hard this week not to do that. And so, God, I pray right now. I, I, I'm not sure exactly, God, maybe an umbrella over us, maybe a hedge around us, or maybe, God, some way you just take our problems and set them aside because they'll be there tomorrow to pick up 
and we'll focus in on some verses today and, and next week that might stir us, that might help us understand why Moses chose what he chose, why we should choose what he chose, even if it's a challenge, but it'll be a blessing. So God, we, we lay the next few minutes before you. As humbly as I know how, Holy Spirit, take charge. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, dear people. Be seated. I want you to look with me beginning in verse 24. I, I believe the, the whole heart of this text that we're going to be exploring this week and next week is really contained in verse 24. Okay, that's the... I think the main affirmation the writer's getting across. Notice verse 24, okay? By faith, Moses. Then there's a little parenthesis there, a parenthetical statement, when he had grown up. And then the verb. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so the whole structure is that Moses refused and then it's supported by two what we call in, in grammar participles. Verse 25, choosing. Verse 26, considering. We'll explore those words next week. By faith, Moses, when he was grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's what we're going to be talking about. Now I want you to notice that word grown or grown up. It, it could be, it, it, it may mean age, uh, may mean maturity, but that particular word in the Old Testament and in the New Testament can refer to renown or fame. That may not be what the writer's talking about, but it could easily be. The idea is that, that the writer may not be talking about his age as much as it is his reputation. That when Moses gained fame, when Moses became successful perhaps, when Moses had made a name for himself, when he could have been King Kong, <laughs> he refused that. Now, perhaps both ideas are present. The word refused means to deny yourself disregard your own interests. It's used negatively and positively in Scripture. It's used to refer to Peter when he denied the Lord. And when Peter got to a certain point under certain pressure in his life, when he had an opportunity to stand for God, Peter denied Christ. It can be used in a positive sense, like the church in the book of Revelation, the church at Pergamum in Philadelphia. The Bible tells us that, that at their moment, at a crossroads in their life, at an opportunity that came into their life, they refused to deny Christ's name. In any event, what we see is Moses came to a crisis point. Maybe that's where you're at. He realized that there was someone more important. He realized there was something greater worth giving all of his life up for. He realized, as opposed to many today in our Christian community, he realized that it really wasn't about him. 
It was about God. And my friend, that's what biblical Christianity is all about. Biblical Christianity means that by faith, you give yourself up to the one who gave himself up for you. If you haven't done that, you're not saved. Salvation by grace through faith means that you give up in repentance who he is. The one who gave himself up so that you might have eternal life through him. Now next week, we're going to look at the structure, okay? And I'll try my best to break it down. Let me tell you where God took me this week. As I began to try to put together what I'm going to share, I just saw some incredible contrasts in the verses we just read. And so my, my hope is that, that I can give you some, um, some spiritual zingers as we look at the life of Moses. And then next week we'll see what the structure is. Okay, I want to give you three things this morning. Look at verse 27. I want to begin in verse 27, then we're going to go right back to verse 23 because they're tied together. The first contrast that I saw in the text was either faith or fear. Look at verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. The first time Moses fled the king, Pharaoh, was when he killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew, one of his own. And the Bible tells us that he was afraid and he fled to Midian. But now, the Bible tells us that he's fearless. Now here's the question. What happened to Moses? Why at one point in his life was he wrapped in fear, willing to flee, but the next part of his life, he was fearless, willing to die? Look at verse 23. Let's don't pass over that. This is very important. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child. And notice, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Let, let me tell you what's going on. Moses was put in a, a basket. Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe. She saw him. She knew he was a Hebrew. She knew what she should have done was immediately drown him. But her heart went out to him. Moses' sister was there and said, you want me to get a Hebrew maid to, to nurse him? Pharaoh's daughter said, sure. And so they took Moses to Moses' mother to nurse. Actually, it's cool. The Bible says that Pharaoh's daughter paid her to nurse her own son. Hey, mamas, not a bad deal, huh? Have you ever been paid to raise your kids? Gals say, ain't no way, Jose, right? In that process, you know how long it takes to wean a child? Anybody, mamas, how long does it take to wean a child? Some of you say 21 years, yeah. About three years. Now, do you get what's happening here? Moses could have had it all. 
I mean to tell you, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was on the verge of great things. But he was weaned by his mother. And in that three-year period, every time he sucked at her breast, Mama was whispering into his ear, You're not an Egyptian. You're a Hebrew. You belong to God. You're a child of the living God. Don't you forget that, Moses. And when push came to shove, when the moment came, he remembered he was a Hebrew. And he chose God. And he refused the things of Egypt. Why? Because he saw it modeled in his mom. And he saw it modeled in his dad. Oh, Dear people, in a world today that's more Egypt than Egypt, huh? what are you showing your kids? Is Christ worthy of your best? He was so afraid at one point, he became fearless at the next point because mom and dad did not fear Pharaoh. They feared Yahweh. And it ingrained in him and so filled him. At that moment of crisis, at that crossroads in his life, in that moment of decision, he chose God because he belonged to God. Sometimes as I uh, go around our community, uh, being here so long, I, uh, I'm having trouble remembering names. Some of you know that. I look at you and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, and that's because I forgot your name. You used to know everybody's name. I don't know everybody's name anymore. But from time to time, I'll go to Wally World or, you know, go around the community, and I, I run into some folks that are members of our church. And uh, I will say, hey, brother <laughs> or sister. And I'll say something like, man, I, you know, we've missed you. I can remember faces. And, I, and I'm genuine when I say that. Gosh, we, we've missed you. And they would kind of hold, hang their head a little bit and say, well, you know, we... We've been missing a little bit. Um, summertime, I can guarantee you it's ball. I'm glad there's no baseball in heaven, but I can guarantee you it's ball, you know. And, and, uh, I, and you know, we're going to be back in the fall. Or we need to get our out. We've just been so busy. And I understand that. I, I do. I, I do understand that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't take a break. I think you should. I, you know, just don't all go at the same Sunday or I'm in trouble, okay? I think you need a vacation. Take a vacation. Enjoy your vacation. But again, when it becomes every Sunday, something's wrong with that. you agree? Huh? Yeah. Something's wrong with that. And there's times that I would like to say this. I'm so sorry that God is not worthy of your best. Because that's truthful. I mean, I, you skip church for a while. I tell you what it tells God, you're not worthy. And I want to say to them, in love, of course, kind of, man, I'm so sorry that God's not worth your best. And I would like to add and in all probability, it's going to be reflected in your children, you see. Moses learned faith 
because he saw it modeled in mama. He saw it modeled in daddy. He grew up knowing who he was. He grew up knowing that Pharaoh wasn't to be feared. God alone is to be feared. Why don't we, why don't we read the account? Go back. You see up there Exodus? Let me just kind of read this to you. Exodus chapter 2. It's second book of the Old Testament written by Moses. So Moses is writing about himself, which is kind of cool when you think about it. But why don't we just read those 15 verses together, okay? I love to hear the sound. Sounds like angel wings. I know you're not an angel, though, okay? All right, let, you ready? Let's, let's read. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wick, put him in a wicker basket, covered it over with tar and pitch. By the way, that word pitch is an interesting word. Same word that was used about Noah. It's a word, if you trace it back, it goes all the way back to the word that we use in the New Testament for atonement, which is kind of interesting. Then she put the child into it, set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Her sister stood at a distance to find out what was going to happen. The daughter of Pharaoh came to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it up, she saw the child. Behold, the boy was crying. Isn't it, ladies, mamas, isn't it something when a baby's crying? Get your attention. Us guys say, shut up. But the girls, they listen. And she had pity on him. Notice He's one of the Hebrew children. She should have drowned him, right? Right then. Her dad said to, but God was doing something. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child? Why a Hebrew woman? God's at work here. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. The girl went and called the child's mother. Isn't that interesting? Out of all the women... She went and got her mama. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me. I'll give you your wages. Well, hey, mama, is that so cool? What if your husband came in and said, Hey, baby, I'm going to give you $100 a month to raise the kids. You'd probably quit say that isn't enough. <laughs> so the woman took the child and nursed him. Guys, you ought to do a little something for your wives, okay? The child grew. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. He became her son. She named him Moses because he was, drew him out of the water. And it came about in those days when Moses had grown up. And again, we don't know whether that's maturity, whether it's fame. He went out to his brethren, looked on their hard labors, saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. He looked this way and that way, and we saw there was no one around. He struck down the Egyptian hit him in the sand. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting each other. And he said, why are you striking your companion? And the guy said, well, who made you prince or judge over? Are you going to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? Then the Bible said Moses was afraid. And it said, surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh Settle in the land of Midian, 
and he sat down by a well. And if you were to continue reading, you would know the story of God's call on his life and his development. But I want to tell you, parents, listen to me. Are you grandparents that's raising your grandkids? He got it. It started at the feet of his dad and the breast of his mom. How important is it to be a godly daddy? How important is it to be a godly mom? It might just set the direction of your kids' lives that they would be God followers all of their lives. Maybe today's an opportunity day. Maybe today's a crossroads day for you where you're going to choose as Moses chose God over Egypt. There's a second contrast I saw, verse 25, if you'll go there. Enjoy or endure is what kind of hit me. Choosing rather, notice, to endure ill treatment with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Amazing, isn't it? Moses would rather suffer for the right than enjoy what is wrong. And yet most Christians today in America would say that's crazy. But they don't think it's crazy in China. They don't think it's crazy in Iran. They don't think it's crazy in Syria. They don't think it's crazy in India. They don't even think it's crazy in Egypt. But in America, we'd rather enjoy than endure. Now, did you catch maybe what the writer is saying here? He's letting us know that sin is pleasurable. It is. Sin's joyful. And it is. For a moment, I can't snap. For a moment. Passing means temporal. Means temporary. Oh, you can have a great time sinning. It's just not going to last long. And it'll turn into a bitter cup of misery for you and your family. Many would choose a moment of fizz than an eternity of praise. Like I said, the word enjoy means fun. The word endure is, you ought to circle that. I'm going to come back to that next week because it's a very interesting word. It's, a, it's, it's called a compound word, which means uh, you English teachers know compound is two squished to one. So it's two words put together to mean one word. It's a word that could be translated torment, which is a little harsh. Better, I think, would be the word persecuted, but persecuted together. Tormented together. I think what the writer's saying is that God's people being together are crucial for life. That's why believers and other parts of the world meet in secret places, knowing that if they were found out, they would die or be killed. But they don't care because it's vital for their life. I have permission to share with you. I, I'm not going to tell you who. You probably would not know the person anyway. But I have permission to share with you a conversation I had not long ago. A friend of mine and I were talking. And in the course of our day, he hadn't been to church in a while, and he 
hung his head, and we talked. He made two statements. Actually, there were kind of questions, but they were formed in his statement, but he was asking me a question, and I want to answer the questions to you. The first statement he said was this, you don't have to go to church to be saved. Can I answer that for you? Wrong. 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 You go to church because you are saved. So you have to go to church to be saved. There ought to be something about the people of God. Worship, eat with the people of God. That stirs your heart. Makes you want to be with the faith family. You don't have to go to church. Where did that come from? Who invented junk like that? Do you have to go to church to be saved? Yes, you do. Because church is the people of God, you see. The second question or statement is this. You don't have to go to church to have church. Now, can I answer that? Guess what I'm going to say? Hello? Wrong! What's the definition of church? The called out coming in. Huh? That's what it is. It's believers meeting together, you see. If you don't have Christ, if you don't have believers, guess what? You don't have a church, folks. You can't have church alone by the very definition. Now, you can have worship, I guess, alone. But even that's not the same thing. I mean, I don't get excited about my singing. I like Debbie singing. I'll put up with Stu singing. But me by myself singing is not really pretty, you know? So by its very definition, church is the people of God, the assembling together of the saints to worship together in corporate unity and in praise to God, you see. I'm going to step outside the boundary just a little bit. And I've already said you need to take a vacation. Did I said that, right? All right. Summer is an incredible impediment to worship. I want to tell you a story. Many of you uh, know Gary Kettle. Gary Kettle is my best friend. Uh, he's an amazing guy. And uh, over, he was the, on the committee that got me here, so it's his fault, not mine. But we, uh, we've been close for 18 years. And you know what guys do, don't you, when they get together? They dream. I don't know what you girls get together when you get together what you do, but guys dream. We talk. We think about, I mean, guys say, you ought to see the fish I caught, you know. That's what guys do. We tend to exaggerate. And so Gary and I, over time, we talk about, man, how great it would be to have a camper and have enough money. That's kind of important in this dream. And do nothing but travel all over the United States. And we'd, we'd, uh, we'd, we'd park here for a while, you know, and we got tired of that spot. We'd go over there, and we got tired of it. We'd go down there. We had all this thing worked out. The only problem, of course, we didn't have any time or money, but it was a nice dream. One day he and I were talking about guy dreams. And he said, you know what, Tom? He said, when I was a little younger, he said, I bought a camper. And I had this idea 
that I was just going to go every once in a while. But he said, you know what I had to do? I had to sell it. And I thought, a camper? Why would anybody sell a camper? I said, why? He said, because I began to realize that I wanted to go somewhere every weekend. I began to realize that I would rather be in my camper every weekend than going to church to study and learn about God. Is there anything wrong with a camper? I got one. No. Anything wrong with taking a trip? No. But if it is more important and if it consumes your time more than the worship and the study of God, you got a problem. See? Moses would rather be with his people and hurt than not be with his people and be happy. We'll talk about it more next week. But folks, listen. There's something about the people of God. There's something about you people that keeps drawing me. I get so scared on Saturday night. I get so scared on Sunday having to take the Bible and open up the Bible and, 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 and speak to people. But there's something about when, I, of course, Mondays are bad. I quit three or four times. But about Tuesday, things begin to happen in my heart. Thursday, man, the wheels are turning. I begin to dig out the scriptures and dig out the lessons. I, I begin thinking about Sunday's coming. I'm going to get to see my people. You see, there's something about the people of God and the people of God assembling together that changes your life. I, I, I'm going to make a statement. You may not agree with it, but I don't think there's any such thing as social Christianity. I don't think there's any such thing as social gospel. When you read the Word of God, the God's people have always suffered for the name of Christ, looking for something better down the road, which is the reward that's coming the moment we stand in the presence of Jesus. By the word social, it's the word society anyway. Society is the world. And the world is Egypt. I'd rather have Christ than the world, huh? Well, one last contrast. We've got to hurry. One last contrast, verse 26. Greater riches are greater treasures. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Riches, greater riches, are greater treasures. Interesting words used here. Reproaches of riches carries the idea of abundance, of wealth. Suffering. Strange, isn't it? That he'd rather suffer that was more valuable to him than the treasures of Egypt. And yet the Bible tells us the apostles rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer shame in his name. The main word that grabbed me in verse 26, you ought to circle it, is the word treasures. Okay? Um, it's a word to, to... I couldn't do it in the first service either, Don. Tesaurus. What's it? What is Tesaurus? What is it? Say it loud, Doug. Tesaurus. Okay. 
that means something stored up. I should have just gave the definition. Something stored up. A vault, like a gun safe. Or could be translated casket. Isn't that amazing? If Egypt is a picture of the world, then what many are striving for is to store up all of their treasures and put it in a casket. Hmm? What do you do with a casket? Yeah, you put dead people in it. Huh? And so there's a little play on words perhaps, but maybe everybody's storing up all of their treasures and putting it in something that you put dead things in. I think Jesus even called the rich young ruler who was storing up all of his goods to eat, drink, and be merry. Even he said, you fool, today you're going to die. Moses decided pain with his people, more important than the treasures of Egypt. Because down the road, there was a great reward. I don't know what the reward is, okay? Uh, maybe that you get to spend eternity next to your mother-in-law. I don't know what it is. But there's a reward coming for the people of God. And I can tell you, gang, it's going to be marvelous, okay? Well, we'll pick this up next week. I, I want to close. Uh, one of the subtle lessons, I think, is that Moses was at a crossroads. He was given an opportunity to make a decision. The decision would define his life. If he chose Egypt, maybe he'd have got a pyramid, Moses' pyramid. He chose God, and he suffered. But at the end, there was a reward. There is a reward waiting for him, okay? I was reading one of my favorite authors this week. And uh, in one of his books, he said that the ancient Greeks had a statute called Opportunity. The front of the figure had long flowing hair. The back of the figure had nothing but baldness. Long, in the, I know people like that. Long flowing hair in the front, <laughs> bald in back, okay? Now here's what he wrote. He said that the statue symbolized that you can only grasp opportunity when it comes towards you. When it's past, you cannot hold on to anything. I like that. I don't think the Greeks were right on much. That's an awfully good statue, see? And the, 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 the symbolism is when opportunity presents, you better grab. Because when it's gone, it's over. Maybe today is opportunity for you. Maybe you came in wrestling, struggling, like I said earlier. Maybe you're at a crossroads. Maybe God has given you an opportunity today to make a decision that will forever change your life, perhaps your family's life. And I'm not, I'm not God's sovereign. Uh, there may be a lot of opportunities down the road. I don't know that. But maybe there's an opportunity for the taking today. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. Those to be baptized are going to go get ready. After a few moments of Stu leading us, we'll have a time of, of um, 
of offering, of course. But the next few moments are your moments, okay? You've got to discern why you're here, whether God's bringing something to you. It may be nothing more than uh, a healing touch of a marriage, uh, a loving touch to your children or children to parents. I, I you know, uh, I just preach it. You guys got to decide it. But maybe this is an opportunity for you. Father, I love you. I love the passage. It kind of hit me about my life in some areas. I pray that this week and, of course, next week, Lord, as we break it down a little more, that it'll so burn our hearts that we will, like Moses, choose you because you're the best. You're the best. Thank you for grace. Maybe today it's a day for some to choose. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. Stu leads us. Those to be baptized can go get ready.